Good morning, everyone. Um, I want to say a particular thanks to Scott for the uh, audiovisual. He just stepped out. Um, I'm not sure why he stepped out, but um, I must say, you know, thanks so much. That is a very difficult uh, role to, to fill and a job to do. But I am very curious about those five words that I don't know how to pronounce. So as part of the, oh, you must have walked out for that part too. <laughs> okay, anyways, uh, for those of, anyways, we'll just leave it at that. Last week, let's, let's focus on last week. Um, if you recall, Colin had shared about epiphany and in particular, the question of intimacy or closeness with God. One of the most important parts of intimacy is, I think, just knowing that you are being seen and heard by someone. Think of the times when you have heard a friend's voice in a crowd calling out your name and you all of a sudden saying, I know that voice. Or maybe you see a familiar face. You feel a connection and a closeness that wasn't there even a few moments ago, or even perhaps the reverse when someone is calling to you and you don't hear them. As some of you know, I have to wear hearing aids and when I'm not wearing hearing aids, pretty much everything I hear is along the lines of a muffle. And sometimes Susan will say something to me in the house and I will instinctively say, yes. <laughs> now, thankfully, Susan has not started to take advantage of this monetarily or otherwise, but there is a frustration that builds when she is not being heard. And she understands it's not my fault. I can't help the fact that I do have a bit of a hearing impediment, but there's a, there's a frustration there with not being heard. Conversely, when we are heard, when we are understood, when we are seen and recognized, there's a joy there, isn't it? So this morning, we're going to look at two passages in 1 Samuel and in John chapter 1 to learn more about seeing and hearing in a relationship with God. But first, I'd like to ask if we could go to the next slide. How many see something here that is part of your everyday life? Is there something here that maybe looks familiar to you? Well, these are all indicators on social media that people have seen what you have put up and it's a response that they give. There are, just to name a few that are up here, likes and loves and supports and celebrates and these are things on social media that give us little affirmations that are selfies and pictures and trips and stories were all seen and I'll use air quotes loved by people. Social media interaction I find is fascinating, mainly because of the the addictive nature of it Our our quest for likes can become a chase for a hormone that's called dopamine that little hormone that's linked to pleasure and reward. And when we see people liking our pictures or stories, there's a little ooh that we get. And it's a little shot of dopamine. And as we get more and more of these, we start to like it more and more and more, which leads us 
to want to post more, which then creates this cycle of contributing and receiving. And we get pleasure by seeing others liked our offerings. And we can get hooked on that feeling, leading to more craving for online affirmation. There are two particular frustrations I have with social media. One is something that's called impressions. One of the social media sites that I use, which will remain anonymous because I don't want to give publicity to certain companies. But one social media site gives you the number of times that people have seen your posts, which is either a pure ego boost. Wow, hundreds of people have seen it this week. Or an ego bruising. Oh, five did. And then just out of curiosity, how many of you have Apple phones? Here I am saying I'm not going to promote companies and here is <laughs> Apple. All right, I'm going to be spoken to afterwards. But those of you who have Apple phones, when you're using iMessage back and forth with each other, you have these little blue bubbles, don't you? That those of us who do not have Apple phones, we feel left out. We're the green circles in your chats back and forth. And in our household, three out of four people have Apple phones um, and one does not. And it's divided by, you know, male, female. All of the females in our house have the apples. And then there's me, Mr. Greenbubble. But what I find fascinating in looking at the interactions is you all see when you're typing back and forth to each other. You all see these little dots going saying, someone is typing to me. Someone has read what I have written and they're responding back. And I know there have been more than a few cases where Susan will be pausing in front of her phone and I'll say, well, what's going on? She'll say, oh, Rebecca's just typing me something. And she's frozen, waiting to see what the response is. Usually it's okay, mom. And I'm so glad that we have paused our conversation in order to wait for that. But there's an anxiety there and there's an anxiousness because you know that you have been seen and you've been heard and you want to see what the response is. So what do all these bubbles and icons and hearts and thumbs up have in common? Well, they give us an impression of interaction and intimacy. And if we can go to the next slide, Scott. They give us a fleeting feeling of some of the core things that I think we want to be. Namely, that we are loved and valued and acknowledged and seen and heard. In John 1, we read about Nathaniel and Philip. Philip had just responded to Jesus' direct call to follow him. And he was so excited. And I just tried to imagine this, him running around, seeing different people and visiting different friends. And then he went to his sarcastic, sharp-tongued friend named Nathaniel. And Philip, I think, was beside himself at this point. This is the Messiah, he tells him. There's this man that I met, and he's the one we've been reading about and waiting for. And you, Nathaniel, have got to meet this amazing person. And Nathaniel is pretty dismissive and makes a sarcastic remark. I would argue very Canadian of him. 
about nothing good coming from Nazareth, but he goes along with it. And then there's this exchange between Nathaniel and Jesus that we saw. And Jesus opens the conversation with, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Perhaps a bit of sarcasm for sarcasm, but hinting Nathaniel had been both seen and heard long before that moment. And Nathaniel is shocked. How do you know me, he asked. We've never met, never exchanged business cards, never friended each other online. We shouldn't know each other. And in response, Jesus said, I saw you. I saw you. Not from a distance, but I saw you even before you knew I existed. I saw you under a fig tree. I saw you when I was the furthest thing from your mind. But the most important thing, I saw you. And so it is with us. We all, I'm sure, have been tempted to think, to think of God as the detached clockmaker, a personification of fate, someone that is distant in the clouds, watching and just seeing how things play out. But nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, we worship a God that sees us long before we know he's even there, a God who counts the hairs on our heads, who even knows us and sees us at the moment of conception, and he wants us to see him too. Now, the passage in 1 Samuel chapter 3 gives us another glance into God's desire for intimacy. Here we have a 12-year-old boy, roughly 11 to 12 years old, named Samuel, who's been living in this temple since he was weaned from his mother. He was given by his mother to the Lord's service and was greatly dis uh, respected, even at this young age. And one night, he settles down for the night, and he's about to probably drift off when he hears someone call his voice, Samuel. And so he jumps up, goes to the only person likely up then, Eli, and says, me voici, or here I am. But Eli's puzzled. This is odd. Um, you're hearing things, kid. Go away. Go back to bed. Must be the wind or the rain or the neighbors. So, no, it's nothing. Just go back to bed. So Samuel goes back to bed. And again, he hears Samuel. And again, he gets up, rushes over and says, here I am. You called me. What, what, do, what do you want? And I'm sure Eli kind of rolled his eyes and said, well, nice trick, but seriously, go back to bed. And I'm sure Samuel in turn is saying, well, why do you keep calling my name? And again, Eli tells him, go lie down, please go back to bed. And then it happens a third time as we read, and then there's a fourth time. And, and Eli finally realizes that something is up and through his instructions to Samuel, sets in motion a series of events that leads to Samuel not only hearing the voice of God, but understanding whose voice it is. These events 
just happened over the course of an evening. And there were only four callings. But my question is, would God have stopped if Samuel hadn't understood that it was him after four callings? Would God have given up trying to talk to Samuel after one night? Do we worship then and seek out a God that is impatient, a bit intolerant of misunderstandings, that shrugs his shoulders and says, well, I tried twice, three times, four times. Who's next? I don't think so. I think what we see here in God's character is persistence, commitment, and again, reaching out long before the owner of the voice is even known. God, in the same tone, called Samuel's voice again and again and again. And he reaches out to us and speaks to us long before I think we even know who he is. Now, some of us may have experienced a clear voice or a supernatural experience, and I know some of us here have. Many of us, though, have not. And maybe there's a bit of that frustration, like what we read in the part in that chapter in 1 Samuel, where it starts off where the Lord was basically silent. And so knowing God sees us long before we see him, and knowing he is persistent, does this mean he's simply silent for all for but a select few? And I think to answer this, we need to look in scripture at how God speaks. To Elijah, for example, amidst storms and rocks and fire, he encountered God as a still small voice. The apostle Paul spoke to the Romans of God having spoken through creation, through the woods and birds and the natural environment, and as well speaking to us through the scriptures and prophecies. Elsewhere in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is described as one who speaks to us through promptings, convictions, and comfort. And let us not forget the value of godly accountability and counsel and comforting words, that word or prayer from a trusted friend that speaks to where you are in the moment. And even in daily life, as Tony had shared with us a several weeks back regarding his career path to world vision doors being quietly opened and closed without explanation without understanding by a god leading us down a path that we never thought we would go down and if we miss the message the first time or the second time we can rejoice in knowing that he is persistent what about god hearing us the God we worship isn't one to be reached out to at certain times of the year or after certain prayers or certain rituals. We're in fact told in the book of Hebrews to approach him boldly. As noted in Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. So knowing all of this, what can we say about God, how he sees us, and what he wants from us? We worship a God that sees us long before he even crosses our mind. 
We worship a God that persistently reaches out to us. And we worship a God that wants us to boldly come to him in true intimacy. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your persistent love for us. We thank you that you see us long before we see you, that you know the hairs on our head, and that your desire is intimacy with us through Christ Jesus. And we pray that as we leave this place, that we will be attuned to your voice, however you speak to us, and that we will be moved to follow you with a renewed love and fervor. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.